Hello and welcome to The View from the Ninian. I'm Scott Salter and we're back for the 2019-20 season. We're aware it was a season in the sun for Cardiff City. Quite a few fans may have given the championship a miss last year. So we thought we're better to start for this season than to recap and reflect on last year's second tier football. Who better to do that than Ali Maxwell of the excellent Not The Top 20 podcast? Ali talks us through the promoted teams last year, the teams that have come up from League One, some of the movements and transfers so far this summer, and he also gives us a few surprise names that the Bluebirds could target for their striking department now that Big Ken Zahor has left the Bluebirds and headed to the Baggies in Birmingham. It's a great one. We're back next week to talk a bit more in depth about Cardiff City, the summer dealings and what we expect from the season. But for now, enjoy Ali Maxwell. Well, it's the first podcast of the season and we're better to start than than what we may have missed last year in the championship on our season away. And joining me today is Ali Maxwell from Not The Top 20 podcast. Good afternoon, Scott. I can't believe it's your first podcast of the season. You've had the whole summer off. Some of us have been doing pre-season pods throughout. <laughs> yeah, well, to be honest, it's been on the agenda, but we've just been enjoying our holidays a bit too much. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. You, I guess after a relegation, there, there might be a sense of just removing yourself from the situation for a month or so and coming back nice and fresh. Absolutely, absolutely. Ali, before we, before we get going, just in case any of our listeners haven't uh, heard of Not The Top 20 podcast, tell us a bit about that and, and where the idea for that came from. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're very keen to replace some of our lost listeners from Norwich and Sheffield United and Aston Villa. So we'd be very keen to get uh, any Cardiff fans who are interested in uh, the league as a whole, really, there are so many good club-specific podcasts. And I suppose the, the the objective that we took on about three and a half years ago now was to cover the EFL, that is the Championship League One and League Two, uh, in a way that would allow fans of, of uh, I, I suppose, in the, in the way that the Premier League teams are covered. That was kind of our thinking. Like, there was a real lack, we thought, of... of and it's hard to go in depth, obviously, on 72 teams, but even sort of mid-depth analysis um, and genuine knowledge of these clubs. And, and I set the pod up with my great friend, George, uh, who I've known for a long time. He's a massive Oxford United fan. We are football obsessives like so many other um, people like us. And, you know, we spoke about this stuff all the time and we were so much more interested in the EFL than the Premier League. And we set up this podcast because... Well, we wanted to give it a go, really. That's the beauty of podcasts, as you'll know. Um, and, and here we are, three and a half years later. We, I think we did 110 podcasts last season, so twice weekly during the season. Um, we've been really lucky to get opportunities with Sky Sports uh, and Talk Sport and all sorts of exciting things. Quest as well, the Saturday Night Highlights show. So, uh, you know, our objective to, to give good analysis has certainly gone down well. Um, but it gets harder and harder each season because, you know, there's there's... It's just so hard to, 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 to make sort of solid predictions. And that's obviously what we have to do in the next few weeks. But we absolutely love it. Uh, and we hope that actually being a championship club, as much as you want to support your club, we think it's the most exciting league that there is to cover. So we'd hope that there's an interest in, in, the, in the division as a whole. Absolutely. And, and we recorded um, a little snippet for your podcast um, earlier on. And, and one of the bit that, that made me laugh in it is you, you talked about those predictions and, and feeling burnt last year by the likes of, say, Stoke City, who you thought maybe 
would have a great season and end up finishing in, in in 16th. And I wonder if you can just give us a bit of a recap of last year's championship. And obviously it was Norwich, Sheffield United and Villa that, that went up. And for those who maybe didn't watch too much of the championship last year because we were enjoying our, our holiday in the in the top flight, you know, what were the talking points and what, what do you think is good to know going into the season? Yeah, it was it was it was a really really fascinating season. Um, it, it sort of started with Marcelo Bielsa taking over Leeds, and in the opening few weeks and months of the season, they looked fairly unplayable. They looked like they were playing a style that the opposition at this level were going to really struggle to to beat. Both in terms of, you know, they set up fantastically without the ball, and they made it almost impossible for teams to to play through. To play through the thirds, um, they dealt fairly well with anything direct, and uh, and they were creating a lot going forward as well. And that sort of was really how we started the season. It looked as if that would, you know, it was sort of Leeds is to lose, and of course they did. Um, and and in in the back well, backwards part of the season, there was a lot of talk about them getting burnt out because of Bielsa's methods, and I don't think it really was that. Um, they had a fairly thin squad. The one interesting thing about Bielsa is he's not. He doesn't really like buying players, so it doesn't seem like it. He doesn't really seem bothered about recruitment. And what that meant was they did have quite a thin squad. A few injuries didn't help. Um, and the, the performance levels for them didn't dip too much, but they, they just went through a bit of a dry patch in front of goal. And then maybe the pressure got to them a bit. They conceded some really silly goals, some uncharacteristic errors. Uh, and what this meant was two teams that really grew into themselves throughout the season and became fantastic second-tier teams in Norwich and Sheffield United, were able to, to pit them to the post. So, you know, Norwich started the season fairly poorly, having finished 14th the year before. And there was really no no suggestion that they were going to put together a, a squad and a, and a season like this. But Daniel Farker was trusted by the, by the board there and by the sporting director, Stuart Webber, who's pretty famous now at this level for, for masterminding Huddersfield's promotion and now yeah. Norwich's. Uh, and, and a team that they'd put together, recruited from from European leagues and a couple of youth play, players, three or four actually from the academy. And they were fantastic, played brilliant football. And Sheffield United under Chris Wilder just did, uh, you know, what they'd done the, the few seasons previously, just improved year on year, got even harder to beat. They played a 3-5-2 and just so difficult to score against, conceding just 41 goals in 46 games. And, and you know, with that two up top, they were always a threat and, and Billy Sharp is just guaranteed goals at this level. So, you know, as much as Leeds were a big story throughout, actually, we, we found two teams who were better at, at just getting the business done at, at the end of the day. And that was a big thing. And, and then Villa, the other promoted side, again, started poorly under Steve Bruce. Real transformation after Dean Smith took over. Change of style. Grealish back from injury and playing really, really well. And, and I think in the end, you know, it should have been Leeds or Villa through the playoffs, but you couldn't begrudge it for Villa given, I think they won 10 games in a row at one point, and, and that is unbelievable uh, to do it at, at this level when the games are coming thick and fast. So and that's how I'd say the league was towards the top, but you know, there's basically a story with every every club at this level, so I won't bore you by going on too much longer, but yeah, it was a really entertaining uh, season, I must say. And one of the things that's really struck me during this, this kind of pre-season, this transfer window, is the amount of deals being done of of young talented players from the championship going to you know good Premier League clubs and and I guess that's testament to the the quality of young players that are in the championship now yeah I think so it's it's kind of a it's a bit of a strange one we track the progress of the young players in the EFL really closely and 
actually, the majority of young players who played in the Championship last season were loanees from Premier League clubs. And we sort of put them to one side and we try and track the ones who are actually owned by Championship clubs. Yeah. I think players 21 and under, there was only about 15 of them that played more than 40% of their team's minutes. But it was definitely quality over quantity because a lot of them are in the Premier League now. Um, and I think there's just, you know, that that I suppose it's also down to the gap in in finances. Um, the Premier League clubs are, are a bit less willing to give their 19, 20-year-olds too much game time because it is it is such a risk, um, or they perceive it to be such a risk, rather. Uh, whereas for the championship clubs, maybe, maybe your best young players, you'll allow them to at least be the sort of backup option and therefore through injury or through opportunity, they might get into the team. And what you basically see is the Premier League clubs, once you've got a, a young player who's played half a season or a full season, you've got so much data to work with, you can really look at their game. Uh, and much more so than in under-23 football or youth team football, you can get a pretty good idea of them. So Premier League teams, I think, are quite happy now to let the Championship clubs play their youngsters and then whether it's right or not it's something that makes me a bit uneasy the sort of food chain that's developed but for them paying eight to 12 million pounds on a 20 year old British player is is not much of a risk really and and for a championship club that that can be really important revenue so that's the situation at the moment but there's certainly plenty of young talent a lot of it however seems to have been poached by the big Premier League clubs this season. And for those uh, players still left in, in the championship going into the new season, who are the players that you're, you know, you guys are remarking as, as the ones to look out for? Yeah, I mean, it's it's there's just so many. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess um, at at Forest you've got a situation not entirely similar to, well, not dissimilar, I should say, to to Wolves's promotion the season that you guys went up. In the sense that last season or last summer they signed three Portuguese players, young and talented, and only one of them really really made any impact, uh, João Carvalho, and he looks like yeah. a really good player who I think could could thrive this year. And they've sort of gone again. I think they've got two or three more this summer. Thiago Silva seems to be the the standout. He's a central midfield player, another young player. So I suppose in terms of foreign imports, that's who we're we're interested to see. In terms of the guys who we enjoyed last season, that at this stage are still in the league. There's a player called Ben Ramo who plays for Brentford. Yeah. An absolutely fantastic uh, wide player, just really skillful, really technical. Uh, I think he was double figures for goals and assists last season. So he could have a, a, a you know, if he gets better, then the whole league's going to have to be on on uh, on pretty close watch for him. And assessing, obviously, uh, the clubs that have come down, Cardiff, Fulham and Huddersfield, how do you assess those, those three clubs come down and who do you think might be in the best position to... To go back up. Well, that's that's the reason we got you on our podcast, Scott. Because <laughs> it's it's been a fascinating thing to track over the last few years since we've been doing these podcasts. Is you know the the impact that a, a Premier League relegation has on a team. Of course, when teams come down, they on paper have starting 11s that should be top four minimum, right? That's that's yeah. pretty much a given. Um, and again, in theory, with the parachute payments, uh, a bit of financial leeway to add to those to those squads and actually this season for the most part uh, Cardiff and Fulham uh, and Huddersfield actually haven't really been splashing the cash to the same extent I think the teams are, are getting a little bit spooked by financial fair play which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing so Fulham have, have, have probably made some eye-catching additions in Ivan Cavallero and Anthony Knockhart yeah. uh, but they've done it in a quite a clever way where they are loans to buy 
Um, essentially, if they do get them up, then they'll sign them and, and they won't really be much of a risk. But what they've not done, which other clubs have done in the past, is spend £12 million on a player, £10 million on another player. Um, because then if you don't go up, there are risks. I noticed that obviously Cardiff have raised some money through the sale of Zahor, which I assume will go towards replacing him to an extent. Um, and Huddersfield, Yeah, that is the hope, of course. And Huddersfield kind of, um, yeah, they're, they're very much, I don't want to say unambitious in their approach, because I, I, to be honest, I applaud it, but they are also not going out and splashing the cash. So in that sense, it, it's, it's difficult. I, th- I think Cardiff and Huddersfield, just the general vibe I got from speaking to yourself um, and also to Stephen, the Huddersfield fan that we spoke to on our podcast, is that everyone's kind of pulling in the same direction. There doesn't seem to be too many bad feelings left over from last season from relegation, which is what you sometimes get. And, of course, uh, all three have kept the manager that finished the season there. So, for Fulham, they have the most eye-catching starting eleven, I'd say. Um, but they strike me as the team most likely to sort of still be a little bit affected by last season. Uh, and in Scott Parker, they have a manager that we don't know much about, sort of, sort of rookie manager. So, uh, I, I mean, I'm feeling quite confident that all three will be there or thereabouts. But stats and recent history would tell us that it's likely one of the teams will sort of flame out and, and have a bit of an issue. So it, it's very difficult to say, and I'm sitting on the fence somewhat, I, <laughs> I realise. And throughout the Championship, there's been plenty of kind of new appointments, new managers coming in, West Brom, Slavin Bilic, and, and throughout, and obviously Sheffield Wednesday have lost Steve Bruce, which has been one of the big talking points of the of the transfer window so far and what do you make of some of some of the new appointments and I was particularly impressed by um by Bilic and Derby appointing Philip Koku yeah yeah it's all quite exciting that uh, there's been plenty as you say Bilic I I'm kind of I want to wait a month or two till I really decide how good he's going to be he's obviously got decent pedigree and he was fantastic for the Croatian national team and, and had good spells with West Ham I do think it's a slightly different kettle of fish and I worry about a uh, the sort of strength of his personality, really, at a club in West Brom that doesn't look hugely stable uh, and actually have lost quite a lot of key players this summer. The same can be said for Derby in the sense that Koku has great pedigree, clearly did a fantastic job with PSV in uh, in Holland, but, you know, he's come in. They've their, Three of their best players from last season were loan players who at, this, at the time we're recording are not back at the club and I wouldn't expect Mount to be, certainly. Um, he's got pretty big job on his hands and he's already said uh, well we're going to be playing a lot of the youth players we want to bring those through so I think he's kind of got his hands tied to some extent and the same could probably be said for Jonathan Woodgate at Middlesbrough who's basically been told he has to overhaul the playing style that Tony Pulis had entirely um, with a very thin squad quite an aging squad without too many assets to raise funds and, and seemingly not too much money to spend so there's a lot of managers that are going to have it quite tough. You could say the same about Pep Clotet at Birmingham, trying to fill the void left by Gary Monk, who was very impressive last season. Uh, and Grant McCann at Hull. He had a great season with Doncaster last year in League One, really overdid expectations to reach the playoffs. Um, but at the moment, Hull have kept their two best attacking players, Jared Bowen and Kamil Grzycki. But I'm not entirely clear if they're both going to be there come the start of the season. So there's loads of new managers. Mark Warburton at QPR, Graham Jones at Luton as well. Um, Lamucci at Forest is basically half the division. Uh, it's very, very exciting, and uh, yeah, just one. I just worry a little bit that some of them aren't getting the, the best foundation, which I suppose is, is good news for for Cardiff and your chances this season. <laughs> Absolutely, and looking at um, 
if I mean, if Cardiff fans didn't see much of the Championship last year, I doubt that they saw much of League One. And looking at the promoted teams, Luton, Barnsley, and Charlton, what do you make of those and their chances this year? So, Luton were the champions, and they were a really fantastic League One team. Uh, and generally, if you are a really fantastic League One team, you're pretty good for a mid-table finish, I would say, uh, in the Championship. You're probably not going to be flirting with relegation. The thing that has worried some people, including Luton fans, but certainly George and I, is that uh, they've got a new manager in Graham Jones. It's his first um, sort of head coach management role. He's been an assistant at, at some some big places, notably with Roberto Martinez um, at, uh, at Everton and also at Belgium. He was Darren Moore's assistant with West Brom last season. So they had such a defined way of playing last season that was so good for them that you wonder whether he just has to keep that going or whether he might try and put his own stamp on things which could be obviously a little bit uh, risky a little bit dangerous but they've also lost their two fullbacks James Justin and Jack Stacey both have gone to the Premier League with Leicester and Bournemouth and they played a, a diamond in midfield which meant that the, the fullbacks provided all of the width really uh, and they did an unbelievable job both of them were a real threat uh, in an attacking sense but also um, part of a very solid back four, which is quite a rare thing and, and highly sought after. So very difficult to replace those two. Um, otherwise, things, are, you know, I would I would expect them to be not not a nailed on relegation candidate, put it that way. I, I definitely think the same about Barnsley. Similar story, really, in the sense that they've lost some key players at the back. Their two centre-backs, Pinnock and Lindsay, have gone to Brentford and, and, and Stoke. So it's a, a case of trying to replace them as best you can. But their manager, Daniel Stendhal, we rate really, really highly. German manager, young guy. Um, they're, they're, they're very entertaining to watch, but they also had a very solid defence last season, which I think bodes pretty well. And I'm pretty concerned, I must say, about Charlton. Um, they came up through the playoffs, which always means a bit less time to prepare. They had a bit of a strange situation where it looked like Lee Bowyer would leave. And then they sort of just, just managed to grab him before he slipped away. Uh, and that's obviously a good thing. But again, he's another guy I just worry for because a lot of their players were on loan. They have, they've made some moves in the transfer market and they all look like decent signings, but not necessarily guarantees. So I think that Charlton might struggle. I think they'll definitely be batting, battling relegation. But I'm fairly confident that the other two will be definitely competitive championship teams. And one of the things that Cardiff fans are particularly uh, excited for this year is obviously the return of the South Wales derby against Swansea and which I'm sure will be a, a mouth-watering clash and what do you make of them they've obviously got a new manager in and you know it looked like they might lose a couple of their their key players but they so so far they've kind of held on to Conor Roberts and McBurney obviously Dan James has gone to United though and what do you think of, of, of those yeah I mean they were one of the relegated teams last season right and they finished 10th which looked like you know didn't look like an amazing season on paper but Actually, the development that they went through uh, and, and the, the extent to which Graham Potter uh, improved so many of their young players, I think means that it, it was a success. And I think the Swansea fans would agree. I'm not sure they would necessarily say that they fully back the board and, and this is kind of a potential issue for Swansea this season because Steve Cooper's come in. Uh, he's, he's really had a whole career in, in youth development and youth coaching. He's very highly rated um, you know, never been a number one before and, and all that that entails, you know, I'm thinking it might seem like a strange thing to say, but even I think the media commitments that you have to fulfill as a first team manager uh, at this level can can be a huge game changer for, for guys who are just used to 
focusing on improving players and coaching players. Yeah. Um, so you never quite know how that's going to go. Uh, I'm sure that they will play a very similar style, which is very, very dissimilar to uh, to a Neil Warnock team. <laughs> so those derbies are going to be a, an interesting clash of styles for sure. But certainly, if McBurney leaves, I'll be very worried about them. I'm already quite concerned about them at the back. They conceded 62 goals, which is not great for a top half team. And, and you know, they'd certainly be looking to reduce that if they want to finish higher than 10. But in reality, I'm not sure Van der Horn, who's a very good defender, will stay. Uh, and I think they're sort of trying to make up the numbers still in terms of centre-backs. So, um, uh, like a lot of these teams, I'm finding it very difficult to be entirely clear because there's a couple of positives and there's a couple of negatives. But really excited for those derbies, for sure. Absolutely. And Ali, before, before I let you go, I just want to uh, touch on Cardiff's transfers and um, I really enjoyed you and, and George on um, the TIFO football podcast who have been doing their sensible transfers and on a side note if anyone listening to this hasn't listened to, to the TIFO podcast and those sensible transfers it really is fantastic and worth going to, to check out but I'm just interested in Cardiff um, as we talked on your podcast a, a kind of in desperate need for a striker especially with, with Kenza Hall going and fans are kind of scrambling around looking for potential options and you know We've gone from Dwight Gale to Andy Carroll and, and, and everything in between. So I'm interested from your championship or football league even knowledge in the past season, who you think might be, if anyone, a good option for Cardiff in that position? Yeah, sure. I mean, we spoke, didn't we, about how in terms of, of a stylistic fit, you know, we want someone to, to get the best out of Bobby Reid. And I, and I definitely think that's the right way to go because he had such a fantastic season for Bristol City before he signed for you. Um, and, and in that season, he was playing, I think, with, uh, with Jeju of Bristol City. And I saw him linked the other day. Yeah. If, if you could get him for the same as you sold Zahor for, I would, although I quite like Zahor, and I, I'd like, I'm interested to see how he goes at West Brom, maybe a change of scenery and maybe growing up a bit could do him some good. I do think he's got some really good character uh, attributes, and I know that you do too. And I think that Jeju would be a, a good replacement for Zahor. He scored 13 league goals in both of the last two seasons, so by no means prolific, and he is one of those blokes that will miss chances that will, you know, you'll have your head in your hands. But he's also, I think he's been more consistent, certainly, than Zahor, and consistently a good target for Bristol City. Um, he, he, you know, they actually do look for him quite a lot. They, they, they don't, I don't think people think they're a, a direct team, but they've got different ways of playing. And one of them is certainly by using Jeju's um, physical skills. Uh, he is a, a bit of a menace in the air. He's very strong. And I quite like him uh, as an all-round player. And, and, and as we spoke about, you know, when you went up, you didn't have necessarily a prolific goal scorer scoring 20-plus goals. So I think he would be an interesting option there. A, a, a short-term option, because I think he's probably pushing 30 um, but someone in the league last season who was fantastic playing in a similar-ish style is Lukas Djukovic of, of Birmingham. Now, they've already okay. lost Che Adams. They've lost Hotter. Basically, they're two sort of really good attacking technical players. So I'm sure they'd be loath to get rid of Djukovic. But he was double figures for goals and crucially for assists as well. He was so good for Adams. And I think he could be for Bobby Reid as well. He is really powerful in the air, happy to be a target. He doesn't, he doesn't mope about and grump. Um, he's a real sort of a really hard-working attacking player and he's got a decent left foot as well. So I think he could be a really good foil for Bobby Reid. I don't know what the sort of fee would be because Birmingham, not in the best situation financially, but, you know, that if they lose him, I, I would have them pretty much nailed on to, to come in, in, in the bottom three places. So they might fight 
tooth and nail. But this is all hypothetical anyway. Um, I guess <laughs> the other one would be Kiefer Moore at Barnsley, uh, you know, for obvious reasons. I think he's six foot four, six foot five. I actually think he's probably less keen to be a big target than uh, than Jeju and Djukovic. But, you know, he, I'm not saying he shies away from it at all. Um, but he, he probably offers a bit more um, in terms of finishing. I think he's quite a good goal scorer. Um, and again, Barnsley are the sort of club who I think would accept a, a, a reasonable bid. Like I, uh, They've got Corley Woodrow, who's a good striker for them already. They'll always back themselves to buy players in the transfer market because they've got a bit of a Brentford-esque approach. They, they shop in some different markets. So I think Kiefer Moore could be an interesting option. Uh, and then a, a bit of a wild card, I guess, uh, a League One player just because I think that he's looking to move on, would be John Marquis. Uh, he plays for Doncaster. He's been really prolific for them in the last three seasons, both in League Two and, and in League One. Uh, and when I watched Doncaster games last season, you know, he was he was everything through the middle for them. He is He's not as tall as some of the others, but he absolutely loves the physical battle. And he's a proper wind-up merchant. He's always getting into <laughs> on-running battles with the centre-backs. I think that's the sort of thing that, that Warnock would quite like. Um, he is out of all of them, probably the most natural finisher, I would say, um, but maybe not quite a, 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 as good in the air. Um, but I think could be quite an interesting option. Again, he wouldn't necessarily bring Reed into play as well as, as maybe Djukovic or Jeju. Um, but I think given that he wouldn't cost too much, he could be an addition uh, that, that, that would be quite interesting. So there's a, there's a couple to, to think about. That's brilliant. More than I was expecting there. And I think a, a few <laughs> names that, that Cardiff fans maybe haven't heard of or see much of or, or, or looked into so some really well, great options good, yeah we, we'll hire <laughs> you for our scouting team <laughs> that would be fantastic yeah <laughs> well Ali I'll let you head off and, and first of all thank you so much for uh, for joining us for providing insight into the championship and you know what to expect for the coming season and for anyone like we said that, that wants to listen where can they find you so I mean all over really I think a good place <laughs> to start would be uh, on Twitter at NTT20pod from there, you'll be able to, to find all of our podcasts fairly easily. But, you know, aside from the podcast, which we hope people will give a go, we'll be doing our predictions uh, early next week, so the week leading up to the season. Um, but we, we kind of, we want our Twitter page as well to be a, a real sort of central hub for for just thoughtful EFL chat, not sort of big partisan stuff. We don't really like all the sort of arguing and uh, discussing who's a bigger club and sort of stuff. But we really like talking football. We like hearing, um, you know, things that the mainstream media are missing, especially from within clubs. So we'd love any Cardiff fans to give us a follow uh, and just to sort of join in and, 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 and just chat to us about Cardiff and about anything else you see uh, in the championship that you want to talk about. Perfect. Well, make sure you go and follow Not The Top 20 and Mozzie, uh, Ali and George as well are on there personally. So, Ali, thank you very much and hopefully we can uh, touch base again during the season. Cheers, Scott. Speak soon. Thank you for listening to View from the Ninian and thanks there to Ali Maxwell. Really great insight and make sure you check out the Not The Top 20 podcast this season. Like I said, we'll be back next week talking all things Cardiff City, transfers, incomings and outgoings, the season ahead and our expectations. Make sure you subscribe, give us a rating on iTunes, it really does help us get the podcast out there and get more Cardiff fans.